Well, good morning once again. Uh, we, you're in for a real treat uh, this morning. Ed, Edward Amaya from uh, Far Reaching uh, Ministries, a good friend of, of Pastor Jeff, lives locally here in uh, Murrieta, and he called me, typically uh, the person kind of, you know, responsible for the morning is supposed to call the guest speaker, and he beat me to it, and so that was a, a good indication of uh, just his his qualifications and just his heart for the Lord. And, and we talked and got a little bit acquainted on the phone. And when we were all done, he also made mention that he and his ministry has been praying for us and and you all here, uh, the body of uh, IBC. So just really, really um, off to a great start and, and so glad to get to know uh, Edward just a little bit. I asked him uh, before he came up for service, what would you like me to tell of the church family in terms of a little bio and getting to know you a little bit better. And he said, Bob, absolutely nothing. This is all about God. It's not about me. And he said, you let me take care of that. So once again, uh, just very, very pleased to introduce and welcome and please give a nice uh, IBC warm welcome to Edward Amaya. Good to have you, Edward. So I meant to mention the first service, but I, <clears throat> I've had the privilege of teaching at uh, over 450 churches around the globe. And the Bible does talk about being a hilarious giver. I have never been in a church that you guys actually try to be hilarious givers. That's pretty good. When that happened in the first service, I actually thought for a second there, I had a moment of uh, fear. And I said, maybe I should just sit down because it seems like they're pretty well taught and they might be looking at me like, what's this message all about? But we're going to trust the Lord. <clears throat> Today is, uh, my message is a little bit more of a seatbelt message to put on your seatbelt. Um, I'm going to bring some frontline stories of what's happening on the mission field, really for more contrast. We've been going through a lot for the last few years, and I just want to bring some contrast because I'm not downplaying that it's been hard at all, at all. But I want to be able to bring some hard and then let you see how God is still working in that. In fact, in this 21st century, I have seen more of the globe, unless, unless that particular country is on fire, more of the globe less interested in you coming up and just talking about your faith. And so we're living in a time where it seems like people are less interested in things as spiritual. But what I do know based on where I, uh, where I serve, but also all the airplane rides that I'm on, is that God is moving pretty, pretty rapidly. In fact, some of the people that I have shared my faith with on planes recently, uh, based on what I do, are people that have admitted that they have never gone to a church and they don't even actually think they need to because their life is you know, pretty good. They have good money, they have a good family, they have all that. But when the world starts to shake, it gives us an opportunity to talk about things that maybe we don't talk about. So I want to encourage you too that whatever life is happening you in your whatever is whatever you're going through in life, that God still has a plan with your life. In fact, I might take away some of our excuses, and I'm talking about myself too. I didn't say this in the first service, but I appreciate the pastor's kindness to me. This isn't about my humility, because it's not about my fake humility. I like pastor, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, it's not that. But I still have to stand up here in public, but I can tell you something. I, I don't qualify for this. And that's what I want you to understand is that if any man is honest about their capacity to either do evil or their capacity and, and have done it or their capacity to do evil and they've just done it in their head, every man that ever stands in a pulpit is just a man that God has called them towards. In fact, if uh, we're called the body and let's just say I get to be the spleen, that still is an important part for you. You're still the brain and the muscle and you're the veins and you're the heart and you're all those things. And just because we get to stand here, including your pastor, Jeff, and when Bob's up here, not one of us think that we actually have this down, but there's a difference maybe in my life, and, and same with Bob's, is that this means so much is that I've actually walked across the bridge and said, Father, here I am, take all of me. I don't have anything to offer you, but if you can use any of this, do it. And God took me up on that. And I want to encourage you that if God can use foolish, broken things like me, he can use you. In fact, I don't care how young or how old you are, God can still use you. I was speaking with a 61-year-old woman who uh, shared with me her testimony, and uh, it was a tough testimony. She was raised in a very violent family. She saw her mom get beat up by multiple husbands and boyfriends. Um, it was really bad, and she said she was not attractive, and so you know, she got picked on a lot through school. 
Uh, but her family was not a believer, but she had a relationship with Christ because of her grandmother. And she, the only thing she remembers a story about, the, uh, about when Jesus is trying to feed the 5,000 and he says, what do you have? And we have some fish, we have some loaves. And she remembers a little boy just had a couple of fish, a couple of loaves, and God was able to feed 5,000. You guys know the story. And so she said, Father, the only thing I can give you because I have nothing to give you is my, my purity. And then she ended up being raped. Um, and she went through a terrible years, just self-hatred, tried to commit suicide over 30 times. Uh, it sounds like a crazy story. There's a good, good ending to this. But she tried to commit suicide. She said she didn't really want to die. She was just praying that somebody would care so much that they would go and swoop her up and, and try to take care of her like she saw in the Bible because she never felt love from anyone. And now she has cancer and she's in the hospital and she only has about a year to, to live. But the Lord came to her when she was in the hospital in the bed, when she was feeling hopeless, like, Father, is this what my life is all about? And he said one word to her. He said, Grandmother. And she remembered back to her grandmother. Her family was very broken, but her grandmother was the one who had become a Christian later in life, before, right before she died. She had a radical transformation, and she was kind. And, and she would always hold this young lady when she was young and just let her head be on her shoulder and let her cry, and she would just love her and pray over her. And she had forgotten all that because her grandmother died so many years later. And then as she was thinking about, even though her life had been tough, her grandmother was always an amazing woman. God said to her, he felt, she felt that he said in her heart, you know, I know this suffering is a lot, but I gave this to you because I needed you to be able to have compassion on all the people you're going to meet that are suffering too. And tears running down her face, and she is now the most joyful person I know, even though she knows that her time is ticking by day and day, day by day. So I want to encourage you. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter how messy the life is. What it matters is about when you listen to the Lord and actually take these small little steps. I'm with a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries. The Lord has placed us truly in some of the most extreme places on the planet. Most of the people who would know us or follow us are more familiar with our work in South Sudan. Um, about 20-something years ago, Wes Bentley, a former Marine, uh, was serving in Russia, and his heart was there was when the walls first came down. And he was going from prison to prison, and they were having tens of thousands of people uh, coming to the Lord. It was just amazing. But an organization got a hold of him and said, hey, there's some suffering in South Sudan. The people are dying in mass numbers. This is bad. We need, to send some, we need to send in some pastors so we can figure out how do we bring relief to those that are suffering. And they said, Wes, with your background, would you go in and do some uh, recon? Look around for where the enemy is. Let us know if it's safe. We'll, drive, we'll fly in a small bush plane. We'll get out. We'll, we'll assess and we'll figure out what to do. And so he did that, and he went into South Sudan. He didn't even know where it was, had to find it on the map, didn't even know what the climate was, but he is a highly trained Marine. And he went in there a couple weeks later. He was able to radio in. They eventually land a plane. And Wes, uh, the story goes, a little bit later, he ends up back in the United States to recover a little bit because it was a pretty tough ordeal. During those couple weeks, he had walked through fields in South Sudan where literally there were a couple hundred people freshly killed. And, and he walked through that. And, and if you've never walked through something like that, I can tell you it's, it, it's trauma. It's traumatic. It, it sticks with you. You never get that image or that smell or that feeling out of, out of your eyes. I've walked through some pretty hairy stuff myself. And he got back here and he said, he got home alone with the Lord. He said, Father, that was the most amazing thing. And I never want to go back to South Sudan again in my life. And 20-something years later, Wes will tell our staff that if God calls us out of South Sudan, what we have learned is we will obey the voice of my father, but he'll break my heart. So God wants to give us the desires of our heart, but sometimes we're pursuing things that will not be those answers. And I want to challenge you today to take a week, take a month, take a year. It's so important. I wouldn't rush into anything else until you really feel like what the Lord is trying to say for you, because what I do know is that he fully expects all of us to bear fruit. He fully expects all of us to be the light of the world. We'll get more into that in a little bit. In South Sudan, um, why this has been such a unique time for us, uh, after Wes had spent some time there, uh, he went back over there to do some work, and because of his military background and because he is an ordained pastor, the uh, military got uh, with Wes when he was over in Sudan, and they said, we need chaplains because they're doing killings just like what's happening to us. So let me tell you the killings that were happening. Africa is a very large continent. It's a very complex continent. I've spent a lot of time there. I'm not going to get into the geopolitical craziness because it is a very complex place. No ands, ifs, or buts. 
and, and you have different cultures in there. The very top is what we call the Horn of Africa, and it's predominantly um, um, Arabs, predominantly Muslim. And then when you get into the center part, it's what most of us think about Africa. It's black Africa. Uh, there's west and there's east, and some of you have probably been on some missions trips. They mostly happen in that area. And then there's what goes down into South Africa with whites and blacks and apartheid. Very complex. But South Sudan is really unique because before it was South Sudan in 2011, there was one country called Sudan. And it was two cultures coming together that could not work together because of their worldviews. It was the Arab North coming down with one goal, and that was to enforce the, the strictest form of Sharia law, Sharia law on everybody in Sudan. Well, the South Sudanese, um, the black Africans, they had been evangelized. There was a man named General Gordon from Britain, as well as other Christians have gone there back 60 years ago. And so they aligned being a Christian country. They're very animist, very into naturalism, but they also really hold on to Christianity. And so they pulled together and said, no, we're not going to be forced under Islam. And so they put together a ragtag army and, and they were fighting. And the North came down for many years during the time in which we were there, the merciless, inhumane atrocities committed against the poor and the defenseless is, is incredibly hard for most Christians, including me, to put my, my mind around. There was over two million people that were killed, and it was pure evil. And I can tell you that I, I wish I could tell you, and, and it doesn't make it better, but I wish I could tell you it was just army against army. It didn't happen that way. Most of the men had to go and fight, and these are ragtag guys. They may not have shoes. They're carrying around an old, dirty AK-47 trying to protect their country. It was pretty crazy. But they would come in, and what they did to the women and the children and the elderly is still too hard for me to even talk about because of the things that we have seen. But more importantly, the scars that were left on some of these people, like the children. We do a lot of outreach to children. A lot of these children have grown up, thank God. Um, a lot of them are doing pretty well in life. But we have had to deal with a lot of children that were forced by the enemy to take a, um, to take a, a weapon and kill their own parents or to be killed themselves. We've never dealt with that. What I can tell you, though, when you deal with a child that has lived through that kind of trauma, the guilt, I mean, how do you live with yourself that you were forced to kill your own parents? It's built inside of us that we know about family. Uh, you can say bad things about your own family, but don't let anybody else because we know the mama bears come out, right? And that's, you know, it's just, how does a child live with that? And what we do know is you just don't walk in and say, here's some water and give them a hug and say, Jesus loves you and leave. You have to walk with them for a season so that you can demonstrate the love of Jesus so that they can find stability in life. And it's not just the children, but it's also a lot of the ladies. Our women's ministry is numbered into the, it's been numbered totally into the tens of thousands. But we have thousands of ladies that come to our women's Bible studies just to find the healing of the Lord. Pretty, pretty crazy time. In 1998, we, we, had, uh, we were officially recognized to, to start training up their chaplains, their pastors. And uh, since that time, we have actually deployed over 550 chaplains to frontline combat units. We bring them in. We bring pastors from the U.S. We take them through the Word of God in an entire year. We outfit them. We do everything. And these guys go out there. A lot of them are actually former Muslims that our chaplains have actually won to the Lord. And now they want to go out and do that same thing and go out and serve Jesus on the mission field. Pretty crazy stuff that we go through. One of the unique things about us as a ministry, just a couple of weeks ago, actually at the beginning of last week, um, it was, it's heartbreaking, but because of the war zone, we've had 69 of our team members die in the service of the Lord. We just found out that another three have been killed over the last week and a half, and so we were putting out a newsletter because we honor them. In our office, if you ever want to come visit us, we're in Murrieta. We have a hall of remembrance where we actually have our chaplains and an American who, who died serving the Lord there. But we, we have a big hall for it. It's called the Hall of Remembrance because we always want the world to know, you know, the sacrifice for the gospel. We ran out of room, and now we're taking up other walls. And eventually, we actually see that our walls will probably be filled with all the people that have been killed that serve with us. That doesn't make us proud. But it does mean that there is a cost in most parts of this world for what we get to do here for in relative safety. In the first 15 years of ministry, we had 16 team members killed. And that was really hard on us. It took a toll. Because those 72 guys, those are not just obscure people. They're not just guys in Africa. Those are my brothers. 
I've, I've had meals with them. I've, I've gone through the word with them. I've laid hands on them and to deploy them to frontline combat units. They've laid hands on me. I have spent many nights till early in the morning praying with them over the church in America because they're really concerned that we're losing our moral authority. And yet it was Britain and America that came to Sudan and brought the gospel. And so now they pray. These are my brothers. It would be like me being part of this church for many years knowing you and you guys are being killed before your faith. It takes a toll. I can tell you with what we do, why we need your prayers is you get tired of war. You get tired of death. You really do. But there's this drive inside of you that means more than the suffering that you might have to endure. There are people that don't have what I have and I have to go to bring the love of Jesus. Why would God, when I was 19 years old, a complete punk living in San Diego, not even looking for God, messed up, jacked up, stupid, why would God reveal himself to me? because God loves his creation. And what God has done in my life is miraculous. If any of you would have known me in high school, there is no way you could have ever envisioned me standing before you here. In fact, most of you as parents, if you would have met me in high school, would have hid your daughters from me because I wasn't the kind of guy that God has turned me in today. And that is the hope that we have for the world. Serving in South Sudan, We've made a lot of really interesting connections, very highly skilled, highly connected believers. Because we're in war zones, we find Christians that want to come and serve with us, not to bring guns, but, you know, just that bravery. They're used to the war zone. So we have a lot of friends that are from the SEAL, Christians from the SEALs or from the uh, Force Recon, from Marines, from other units, but also from the intel community, from the FBI and CIA. And I can encourage you that there are true believers and true patriots that work in every division of our government. You may not understand that, but they are there and they know it's their calling. Really neat. The reason I'm telling you that is because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass this up and we're going to get to it when we talk to, about Afghanistan. But I want to let you know that relationships, even the relationships that you are meeting around you, a lot of times you don't ever take those things for granted because what God does here. He's intending for those relationships to mature because he has work to be done here. And that's happened my entire life. The reason I'm in this ministry today is because my first roommate at 19 was my founder, Wes Bentley. He was my, my big brother. He, was my, he discipled me in the Lord, and I went towards business and became a VP for a $9 billion company, and he went towards ministry. Had no idea that m him being my best friend and the best man in my wedding would one day lead to where I'd be serving with him. You have no idea what God will do with your life. All I can encourage you to do is quit looking at the problems and, looking at the gift and, w and look at the gift in which God has put in front of you my relationship with this man, I'm going to take that seriously. If he needs something, that's how the body of Christ works. My phone will be open to him and I may have connections to help this church do something because I have senators and Congress people that are interested, thank you. I uh, usually put stuff on my lips, but I forgot all that. I've been on a plane, so I'm a, I'm a hot mess today, but if you can handle that, then we're in a good place. We're now serving in uh, 36 countries. Um, nine of the 10 are, the, are considered the Nine are considered in the top 10 most dangerous Islamic countries in the world. Where people are running from, my team runs too. That doesn't make us brave. That just means that's our unique calling. And this is what I can tell you is that we all have a different calling. We make up the body. I may be the spleen. You guys might be the heart. But God is going to put us in different places because he wants to use us. I can't be jealous or envious of the tight relationship you guys have in this community. I go to a lot of churches, and, and the bigger they get, the less people know each other. But around here, you, when I'm out there, I'm watching you guys. You're all friends. How amazing is that, right? That's what God does. But God loves this place so much that he puts you here because there's no less importance on the people that are perishing apart from Christ. And he loves them, and he sent you. We'll get into that a little bit more, too. I lead a division called Ghost Operations, I am uh, the first pastor that has this title. I'm the director of ghost operations. Sounds pretty, pretty weird and exciting, but it really is a representation because we're in military zones. I, am, I represent the, the invisible arm of love, the invisible arm of Christ. I represent you to the most dangerous places on the planet. That is just the calling in which God has given me. I am responsible for about 700 underground pastors and doctors and ministry workers in very persecuted or very closed countries that are, are radically opposed to our ideals or radically opposed to anything that has to do with Christianity. 
So we are going to talk about Afghanistan. I already talked a little bit about Sudan with 73 of our, 72 of our team members being killed. But before Afghanistan blew up, I was dealing, if it weren't enough, I was dealing with Syria too. We had 12 underground pastors in Syria when the war broke out there all the years ago. And um, our lead there, a real good friend of mine, I have a video, if you guys ever get to go to our website, you'll be able to see a video on Danny. It's not his real name, but he's a, he's a dear friend of mine. And um, Danny was telling me that when the 12 people got together, these underground pastors, he had told them, listen, just as in the Bible, there is a time for us to leave, but there's also a time to stay. But before we do something in the flesh, let's ask the Lord what he wants to do. So everybody committed that they would pray and fast for a week and then come back together as bombs are dropping. And they got back together a week later, and Danny said, you know, I expected a couple people to say yes, but I was fully expecting, and I was okay, that everybody else was going to say, no, we need to get our families out. Those are just our ministry workers with their families. Again, we were up over a couple hundred people. And when they got back together, not only were the original 12 had all felt like the Holy Spirit told them to stay, but another 13 pastors that weren't even part of that original group showed up at the meeting and said, we're staying too. And they have stayed there, and the work that has been done has been pretty amazing in one of the hardest places in the world. In fact, uh, I got to share with the first service that one of our pastors, we send in food parcels because they don't have anything. And he took his food parcel, and he realized that Muslims were, were starving too. And what an opportunity to bridge between a Christian and a, and a Muslim is food in their time of need. And so he took some food to one of the top imam's houses, and the imam's house had been hit by a bomb. They were living in a, in a shelter that was, or their house, but it had partially destroyed. And when he went up there, the wife was there, and he walks away, saying, you know, I'm sorry, because in a Muslim country, a man can't talk to a Muslim woman or somebody's going to die. But as he was walking away, he ran into the imam, and the imam had saw that, and he said, my brother, how can I help you? And, and he said, I have food for you. And he said, food for me? I mean, don't you see what's going on? Don't you need that? He goes, no, this is for you. He goes, what do you mean this is for you? And he, he basically tells him that it's from Jesus. And the imam goes, you mean Jesus the prophet? And he said, yes. And he goes, come in, tell me. So they sat and they started dialoguing about scripture. And this man eventually gives his life to the Lord. And over a couple years, he really grows in the Lord. And today he is running an underground seminary in Syria, leading Muslims to the Lord. And that is, that is what love does. It made total sense for my team member to take his little package and hold on to it for his family. Because what if we couldn't get back in? But he realized that there are people suffering. When we get beyond ourselves and trust in God and not hold on to our little piece of the dirt so hard, when we're not killing it with our hands and release it to the Lord, you have no idea the fruit that will go into eternity that will come. If Syria weren't enough, we're also dealing with Burma. They are, which you don't hear about these things very much. They're killing entire Christian villages. They're going in and wiping them out. Children, elderly, women, it's, it is horrible. I have pictures on my phone that it causes, I've seen some of the worst, and it still causes such incredible agony. I can't show most of the things that get sent to me by team members because we, it's just too hard. Uh, I have a picture on my phone that rips my heart out. We walked, uh, my team got into a village to bring some food. Another team was bringing in um, food to another village, and they were intercepted by the uh, enemy. And the enemy shot all five of my team members, and only one survived. They shot him in the head, and he survived. The other guys were all killed. But this, they, our team walked into one village that had been completely razed by the enemy. Everybody had been burnt. It's terrible. And there was a little boy at two and a little girl at one, and he's holding her because we walked in, and they'd, all they know is that monsters are real, and they were holding on to each other. And when you see that kind of stuff, if it doesn't move your heart, you know, I broke down in the first service. I try not to. I'm a pretty much a man's man. I, I love being a guy. I, I do. I love testosterone. I just do. But I can tell you that the things that you see, I am thankful that it still keeps me tender. That the tragedy of suffering still moves my heart. And I pray that it will always move our heart because where suffering is, it should drive us there because it is by the grace of God in every situation of our life there go I. 
Afghanistan blew up, and in the middle of that, I had to throw in one other, because I'm not even into Afghanistan yet, but uh, you wouldn't think about it, but in Latin America, we're working down there, working against the cartel. I can't mention this particular country, because i got to protect my team, and we're in the middle of this right now, but where poverty and hopelessness are, you have no idea the, the darkness that can take over people when, you are, when you're hopeless. And down there, children are being sold by their parents for $250 because they have nothing. And the cartel will take these kids and they will put them into human trafficking, sexual trafficking. They will even do what's happening in, in uh, Latin America. It has been happening for a while where they'll take children and they'll harvest them for their organs for wealthy people who are on a waiting list and are tired of waiting. They'll go spend you know, $500,000 for a child's organs. The parents will get you know, $2,000 for that child and then the cartel makes all the rest. It's a pretty sad situation. Um, but in this situation, one of our uh, team members w was asked by the police to come into a room where there were three children, three years old, and the bodies were still warm. The people had just gotten away, but they had opened them, and they took, the, they took their insides, and, uh, it, but it wasn't for a, a transplant. There's actually, I won't mention the country, but there are wealthy people in a particular country that are very superstitious, and they believe that if they eat the organs of a, an innocent child, it will extend their life. As soon as that gets out, trust me, the rest of the cartel, and that will be happening on our border, they'll start to do that. And so we have to step in and we have to stop this. And I would ask that you would pray because when they're harvesting children's organs so that people can eat them, that's enough. And if God will give me the ability, I'll stand in front of anything that I have to stand in front of to save another child because what if that were my daughter? What if that were my boys that by the grace of God, they were raised by a dad that could protect them and provide for them. And now they're, they're healthy and grown up and running, having their own lives. Afghanistan, we'll get into that. But before we do that, I do want to spend some time in the word. It's really a backdrop of what I want to pull all together here. And this is not browbeating at all. This is an exhortation. This can be, this verse right here can be used wrongly by a pastor to manipulate the sheep. That's not what I want to do. I want to encourage you to occupy, to keep going. So if you'll turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, while you're turning there, Luke 19, 11 through 27, <clears throat> I'll give you a quick backdrop to the story. In fact, I encourage you to read it in your own personal time. This is Jesus on his way to, uh, to Jerusalem where he knows the Holy Spirit has already revealed it to him. He knows that he's going there to suffer. He's going to be rejected by the very disciples that he's traveling with and speaking to right now. And then he's going to suffer and he's going to die. We know that story. It's pretty amazing. But he has this incredible clarity of mind. If I were on my way to death, if I knew that, if I'd been captured by bad guys and I knew they were going to take me to die, I don't know if I would have the clarity of mind. I think that I think I would be spiked pretty badly. I don't know. I, I hope that I will glorify the Lord, but I'm humble enough... Uh, I know my ability enough to make mistakes that I would have to really rely on the Lord. But Jesus, with clarity, he says these things to the disciples. Verse 11. And as they heard these things, who? His disciples. He, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business. Most of your translations will probably use this word, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he went from a nobleman to a king, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by their doing. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, sir, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. So a mina, there was 10 servants, a mina, there was one mina given to each of them. That's what it appears. The mina was about a pound of silver. That was a lot of money back then but it was a pound of silver. But listen to this, faithfulness, when you're faithful in small things, then God uses that to overhear. Everything starts small, or what we would consider small. I'm up here standing before you today, and where I started as a 19-year-old or as a brand-new Christian, I started teaching second-grade Sunday school. 
I never had an idea that that would lead to this, to lead to this, to lead to this, to lead to this, that one day I'd be going into nations and standing before you. I had no idea. And I want to encourage you, when God puts something in front of you, like raising your children for a season, or being an employee, until God opens up the door, your heart's for ministry, wherever God has you, God has you there for a reason. And if you will apply yourself and stop and hear me, I'm not saying you're whining, but I was a good whiner until the Lord, compl- the Lord got my heart. But stop complaining and stop looking at my ministry, somebody else's ministry, and say, Father, you have a unique plan for me that will never be replicated. What is that? And everything you do in life should be different than what I do in life because God has a different plan. I know that's, uh, I kept going around in circles, but I pray that that really resonates with your heart. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. Bag of gold, 10 cities. So radically different. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Why didn't you just do something as simple? If you were afraid, why didn't you take the gift I entrusted you to? And why didn't you entrust it to somebody else so that I could at least get some interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more, this is a promise, will be given. But to the ones who have not, even what they have will be taken away. Jesus on his way to his own death instructs the disciples very clearly that they are to occupy until he comes. And I really believe that the Lord has made that a very clear message for every Christian that breathes the name of Jesus into their body. God expects us to occupy, to do, to glorify his name. God is a God of multiplication. It's not about me. It's about what God is going to do and how he's going to open it. But I've got to show up. I struggle with this. And and I don't even like to say this that often because it's, I mean, it's an ugly struggle. What I know about my salvation, it is a gift from God. There is nothing that I have ever done. In fact, I deserve God's judgment. I'm telling you, if you saw five minutes of my life, even as a Christian, some of the things that I've done as a young Christian, how stupid and short-sighted I was, if five minutes of that played on that video, I probably would never want to show my face here again. But the grace of God, and that is what we all hold on to, it's not about me, but by the grace of God, there go I. It's the grace of God that compels me to love other people. His love drives me to love other people. But he also instructs me, and why I want to do it is because I'm not trying to win his favor. But if God would, if he would adopt me in when I know who I was, he would adopt me in as his child. I'm I'm equal with Christ. I'm hidden in the heavens. I mean, it's, it's my obligation. It's like, how can I not respond back to that kind of incredible love? I've never had that love in my entire life, that somebody would care so much for just me. And God's the only one that's done it. How can I not pour my life out? A God that would bring me into eternity. Father, here I am. You can have everything. Every one of my breasts belong to you, including my failures. They belong to you, God. Use use me in the way that you would. That's my prayer. I don't want to seem overdramatic, but I have no other way but to be dramatic on this one. I'm really aware, I started out like this with my next statement, and I started out the first time that it came to me in a men's Bible study, and I said, you know, this is about what my my life represents if I can go to 80 or 100 years. Truthfully, in the scope of eternity, this is about my life in the scope of eternity. It's it's such a blip. I, I don't know how I ended up almost 60 years old. Where did that happen? My daughter was just a little baby girl, and now she's made me a grandfather, and it feels like it was five years ago. So I'm really aware and I'm very serious about my life because I'm realizing that even if I get another 30 years in front of me or even 40, it's going to go by that quickly. And, and what I do in this little time somehow 
sets up eternity. Everything that happens, salvation is a free gift, but how I live my life here, empowered by the Holy Spirit, committed to him, what that does, it literally is going to dictate the things in heaven. That's a really heavy thing to ponder, and I would go a little bit deeper, but I don't have time. And I just want to encourage you, is whether you're in your 10th year, or your 20th year, or your 80th year, your brief blip on the planet, it matters. It matters to God. And it matters to this community. And it matters to me. Because the love that is already happening in this church, when I walked in, I travel a lot. You don't get, you, you would have, you, well, you'll have an idea, but you wouldn't think about it to some of the things I get to run into in churches. Blow your mind. And to walk into a church that everybody's glad to be here, you have all loved on me, you've served me, I have everybody bringing me things, you are in a place, and it might seem weird, you're in a really good place. And I pray that you'll understand that whom God has given much, much is, ex much is expected of all of us. And not out of drudgery, but out of love. God has uh, made very clear to me. I studied the Greek and the Hebrew for a long time. I'm going to confess something to you. When I was a young Christian, I had come from a pretty broken family. I know I said I didn't want to tell my background, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit prompted that I won't get into it. But I had a pretty bad background too. And when I showed up at church, I didn't know anything. Sanctification? We didn't sit on the beach saying, hey, sanctification, dude. I mean, I had no idea what that was. And so somebody one day said, hey, you can look up in a Greek lexicon, and you can look up, you know, it's words, and, and it gives you more idea. And I went, oh, that's a great idea. And I was looking at it, and then I love that. It's like, oh, that's what that means. Oh, wow, that's what... So my Bible started getting all marked up, and people started noticing it. And then people started asking me about my faith, and people asked me to start teaching, and things went on and on and on. And, and in my personal life, I was still a hot mess. And I remember the Lord back then, really one day, just he allowed me to go after Greek and Hebrew. And one day he just said to me, he goes, Edward, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, not a knower only, not a Greek speaker only. Be a doer of the things that I have told you, lest you wake up one day and realize that you have been deceived. I want to be a doer of the word. And I pray that I encourage all of you that no matter what amount of life has gone past, no matter how much life you feel that maybe you've wasted, just like this, that young lady that I've talked about, may you remember that if you, with you in a couple years, God can do amazing things. He really can. And I'm here not for any other reason except for to encourage you of that. Because when I'm battling on the front lines there, I need to know that churches are battling on the front lines here. There are a lot of countries, including work that we've done in Russia, they're sending out missionaries all over the world now. Brazil's sending out missionaries. Asia's sending out missionaries. They're surpassing America. And we were the light of the world for the longest time, and I don't want us to forget. I don't want us to forget our heritage. Afghanistan. Well, I woke up one morning, uh, and Afghanistan was on fire. Nobody expected it that it, uh, 20 years of U.S. Um, being there, that it would fall in 10 days. We started getting word that it was going to go bad about two days into the Americans pulling out because we have a lot of people on the ground. We had 22 missionary workers plus their families, so a couple hundred people. We had some doctors all underground. Um, and when it got hot, it lit up. In fact, the Taliban had already been taken, making lists. They're called blacklists, and uh, several of our, our ministry workers were on that blacklist. Um, Wes was stateside. He's the uh, founder of our ministry, my best friend, amazing guy. And uh, he could not sleep that night because he knew that people were going to die in, in masses. And, and that, just, that just moves Wes's heart. And he felt like about 3 o'clock in the morning that the Lord just said to him, I'm going to give you about, uh, I mean, it's a 2,000-piece puzzle, and I'm only going to give you about a piece at a time. And so we started getting involved. I'll get a little bit more on that in a while. But there are still hundreds of Americans still in Afghanistan hiding. A lot of them won't leave because, like one lady we have in a safe house, she has 19 children. The parents were all killed by the Taliban, and she says, if I leave, she can leave. She can come back to America. She's an American citizen. But she says, if I leave those 19 children, they will end up in the Taliban, and the boys will become boy soldiers, and the girls will be raped until they're not wanted anymore. She goes, I won't do it. I'll die here. So we're getting involved in that. Um, but there's one group of people that is on nobody's list, and they're the people that have been persecuted the most, even during the 20 years within Afghanistan, although they had more freedoms. And those are Christians. But there is a list that the Christians are on, and that's heaven's list. 
and then the Lord has called us to go and, get, and rescue as many as we can. We focused originally on our 22. Let me go back to all those years, all those people that we met that were Christians, that were SEALs and Force Recon and all of that, now coming forward. Those are the same guys that had retired that now were brave enough to drop in to try to find rat lines to, to launch droids and, or excuse me, drones and try to find rat lines out of these dangerous mountains because we knew we had to get people out. Well, we learned a lot through that too. You know, we had to be really careful because if we took somebody across the border, well, if our U.S. government, who's not our friend right now, they're, they're, they want Afghanistan to collapse. They're not attacking us, but they want Afghanistan to collapse because they want the Taliban to go nowhere. It makes a lot of sense, but there's people are going to die. But our, our government is strong-arming us. We have to be very careful about this stuff lest something happen to us, like they come after us for human trafficking because we're smuggling Christians across the border. So a lot more that can go into that, but please be praying for us because it is a pretty crazy time. Because of our work there too, we're getting calls from Ann Graham Lotz called us the other day. She's a good friend of the ministry, and she had a team of people from her daughter who happened to be going to the hospital, and the nurse had, was in the Marines, and she was in Afghanistan, and now her husband is stuck there because he was actually Afghanistan and loves America. So we're trying to help with that too. It's just crazy the stuff that's coming out of the woodwork. I wish I had time to tell you about all these people, but on my phone I carry a couple pictures. One of them is a lady. She was a, it was a Muslim family. Um, she was in Kabul, and uh, her, she was married. Uh, again, she was Muslim. She was a nominal Muslim. She had two daughters and a son and her husband. And her husband's brother was a very evil man. He'd been in prison, and the Taliban had got him out. They knew he was an aggressive guy. And they put him as part of the Taliban. And because of his aggressiveness, he grew up in rank. He became a pretty high-ranking officer. One day he goes to the house, and I have a picture of this. I have never seen anything more brutal in my life, what he did to this, what he did to his own flesh and blood, but how he killed him, how he traumatized him. And I've seen bad. It was terrible. But then he moved on and actually, in front of the children, raped the wife. Then he took the four-year-older and uh, raped her. And when they got out of the country, and we were able to catch them in another country, very close, I can't get into the details, we connected them with our our underground pastor team there. They're now involved in our church, but just heartbreaking. But Wes was able to drop in there and, and help that family um, a little while ago. They hadn't had eaten a meal or anything like that. But even those type of situations, the love of Jesus, they are now walking with Christ through their suffering. And that's why we will go, because in suffering and traumatized, people need our love. And that young girl it was amazing. When her mom, she actually at dinner, we had an interpreter, and her mom was saying, yeah, that the Taliban guy was calling her saying, hey, if you don't come back, we know your 28 family, immediate family members, we, your sisters, all that, we will get them, we will kill them unless you come back. And so she started saying that. Well, there was a six-year-old girl who watched her, her dad be killed, watched her mom raped, and watched her youngest sister raped. And I have pictures on my phone. I wish I could show you today. And, and instantly, Brent just happened to be taking pictures. And she, right when her mom said that, she did this. And then tears are running down her face. And she, uncontrollable sobbing because of the trauma. She doesn't want to go back. And Wes, uh, through an interpreter, said, honey, don't you worry. Uh, and told the mom so the young girl could hear. You're right. You have family there, and they're at risk, but your job is to protect your children. We will take care of your children. We will pay your rent. We're going to make sure they're in school, but you can't go back. The little girl got up and ran over to... <laughs> I honestly am a brave guy, but this stuff should move me. May I never again become that way. She ran over to Wes and wouldn't let him go. So they hadn't changed their clothes in weeks. And so we took them to a mall and got them some clothes. And then uh, Luke, a guy who's formerly in the FBI, uh, took them for some ice cream. They hadn't had ice cream probably ever in their life. And I have pictures of them eating ice cream and holding on to Wes. And for the first time out of all the pictures, they got to be little kids again. What if that were me? What if that were you? What if that were my daughter, my wife, my son, my brother? Why was I born in America? So I could demand my rights because I was given freedoms? Nothing wrong with that. 
too much is given, much is expected. And while I have the freedom, and although it's being taken away from me, I am going to serve Jesus boldly. I'm going to serve Jesus radically. There is so much going out there, and I know most of us sit in our home going, man, this is boring. Where do I go serve? I know that's not an easy path, but I can promise you that even in this city and even in this church, there are people hurting. And if we would get past ourselves and just love on people with the relentless love that Jesus has showered on us and is showering on other people in tough situations, we have no idea what we could do to people's lives when we just love on them into eternity. I have so many more things that I wish I could tell you, but I am so out of time. I've went past my time, actually. Can I have five or six more minutes? Sorry about that, guys. I tried to add in a story, and I went a little bit further. I dropped out other stories. A verse that drives Wes and I, I didn't say this earlier, but this is a verse that Wes and I literally read every day. And it's out of Proverbs 24. And it says, if, if Edward, you falter in your time of trouble, how small is your strength? Edward, rescue those, very clearly, my words, being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards the slaughter. If you say, but I did not know about this, does he not weigh the heart and perceive it? Does he not guard your life know it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? I am called to be a doer of the word and because of the people that God connect me with, this is what I get to do. But you're called to be doers of the word too. And it's not to go to Afghanistan, maybe one of you, but for the most part, it's not. God has important work for you to do in your own families, in your own communities and in this state. If you don't know about it, California has a mass exodus going on. All of the Christians and, I don't know, conservatives, whatever, whoever, they're all moving to Texas. I'm going there, and Texas is complaining. I talked to Wes about it one day, and I said, Wes, everybody's moving, shouldn't we? And he said, God has us run in where people are running from. California needs the light of Jesus. California needs the light of Jesus more now than it has ever needed it before. And God has loves California so much, even those people that hate us and throw rocks at us and ugly and hurl ugly names at us. For God so loved California that he sent you. And I want you guys to remember, for whatever season it is, wherever you are, God wants to use you. I wish I could tell you about the YWAM director that we were able to literally save his life from the Taliban. And Heather Mercer, we, and the 26 people, and Shannon Spann, Mike Spann, if you've seen the movie um, 13 Strong, uh, it was about the first CIA agents and, and uh, Marines that went in, or the military went into Afghanistan. Well, he was the first CIA agent killed. And his wife is a strong Christian. And uh, she's working with us too. And we're getting the people out. You have no idea what God wants to do if you'll just walk out in obedience. Schindler's List. I think most of you have probably seen the movie by now. I can't tell you to see it because there's some inappropriate stuff. And I don't want to be that guy. But the story is pretty amazing. This is a, for all intents and purposes, a secular guy who had one goal, and that was to make money. But through compassion, he saw these Jews being just treated terribly. And so he put on this big game and ends up saving 1,200 lives. And in the movie, different than the book, when he walks out, it's a very, it's a very emotional thing. They got the music, but it's, it's a good setup. There's 1,200 people that he saved. And as he walks out, he leans into one of the main guys, one of the main Jews that had been with him from the beginning. And he just said, I could have saved more. I could have worked more. I could have done more. You guys probably saw this. And he goes, this car, I could have sold it, and I could have saved four more. And he takes a gold ring off, and he goes, I could have saved another one. And he takes a gold brooch off of his, that the Nazis had given him. He goes, I could have saved one or two of these. The guy saved 1,200 people, and, and those lives, we have generation after generation. It's into the hundreds of thousands when you look at how many people ended up being alive because of those. If Oscar Schindler could do that because of compassion, how much more should we do it because of compassion and because of the message of eternity? Body of Christ, I am not browbeating you. I promise I'm exhorting you. The way that you have treated me, love this community the same way. Love those people that are hard to love because one day they may end up being me. I was a guy that not many people wanted to be around because I was a messed up punk. But God had different plans. He knew how to soften my heart. He knew how to put his word on me. He knew how to give me the boldness to send me out despite my past and all the things the enemy wants to whisper in my ear. If God can do it for a fool like me, he can do it for you. 
I want to end with this. I want the worship team to come up. Um, I talked to I talked to the team about this because I think it's important. I know that many of you are going to want to respond f- respond financially. We have I have 700 people I'm trying to get. We're trying to get 800 people out of there. We've already spent 1.5 million to to get out 200 people. That's about 7,400 a life. And and Wes said, man, we'll take them all. We we just committed another 4.5 million to actually get them somewhere else. We're committed. It's going to take about 10 years. And, and I know people are going to want to get involved. It's emotional. But hear my heart on this one. You've got to hear me because we aren't supposed to talk about money in church. Don't know why. I'm, I'm a practical guy. I was a business guy. Even though I'm a pastor, I still don't get all, I don't know how to act like a pastor. Okay, that's the truth. I don't know how to do it yet. Maybe when I'm 90, I'll get it. But practically speaking, when I was a brand new Christian, I uh, literally didn't know. I went to Horizon. I didn't want Mike McIntosh to meet me because I was so afraid he was so spiritual that he would be able to read my mind. And I found out that he's just a man. But I also kind of thought, well, well, God guides, God provides. Money just shows up here. I have to go to work and take care of my family. And what we don't want to do as a ministry is to hurt this church. Because what can happen is the emotional, the, the Holy Spirit's clearly moving. But I don't want to take money away from what we're doing here. And your first place, your first priority is this church. If you're not tithing, man, that's the first place to start being obedient. Just tr- the Lord, I mean, we're not allowed to test the, the Lord, but there's one area. He says, try me in this one area. I'm not even going to get into that one. You guys are well taught. But I want to encourage you to be givers. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you do want to get involved, and this is your first thing, I'm praying that you will want to do this above. I, I actually am praying that this is hurts a little bit. Because if you've never done anything that hurts for, for the Lord, you've never experienced some of the things I have when I didn't have it to give and I did and God just did amazing things. So I want to be really careful with all that because that can cross the line. I don't want to do that. If you want to get involved, don't make it about me. I am here and I want to have integrity. Your church gave me a little um, honorarium. I'm so thankful. But I came here and I didn't want that, even though I'm thankful for it. It's very gracious and, and the Lord, you have to be gracious, right? but I'm more concerned about the people that we're trying to take care of in Af- Afghanistan. If you're interested in getting involved, support one of them. Um, we need to support them. It costs us a couple hundred dollars a month. It depends on where they are, about 200 to 1,000, depends on where they're gonna go. And that's, we take care of them. It's, it, American missionaries, we're just a lot more money because, well, it's more expensive to live in California. But we have people all over the field for that. And we just need to make sure they're taken care of. The other thing we don't want giving to do is to be a burden on one person who fills that burden. And so we try to take that $200 and make it a small chunk for multiple families. So if you guys want to get involved, you can support them for as low as $75.50. Whatever you want to do, you can do more, you can do anything you want. But I have a table out there of Afghanistan plus some of our chaplains that are going into frontline combat so that are not supported. And then Wes has a beautiful heart. Undefiled religion is this, is caring for widows and orphans in their need. We care for hundreds, so actually closer to thousands because it's mine, but I'll just say hundreds now, of widows and orphans in the former Soviet Union that live on a pension, and it's heartbreaking how poor they are. $75, they have to make a choice. Do I buy coal for my wood-burning furnace, or do I buy food? Well, we're making sure they can buy food because that's the minimum that Christ says that we're about. If you'd like to get involved in that, you can do that too. So see me out there. I don't want to take away any more. I want to leave you with this. There's something good going here. Don't let the enemy steal it. And also remember this, that even though every Christian you know rises up and starts slamming the table in anger about who's in the White House and masks and mandates, you represent the King of Kings. You are called to walk in dignity and respect. You are the light of the world. Thank you.